Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly founder and president of Gen Next Wealth, a fee-only financial planning and investment firm. So today we are continuing to talk about family. And today's episode, I'm going to be joined by my good friend, my boy, my partner, Louis Rosa. And we met last year at the XY conference and we just hit it off instantly. Like we're long lost brothers, man. We've been talking all the time and I'm honored to have you on the show, Louis. Thanks for coming on, man. Oh, thank you very much, Emily. Yeah, I'm so glad that I went to that conference and we hit it off. This is an honor for me to be here. I know something that I've been looking forward to doing for quite a bit. So I know we talked about it for a bit. So now it becomes reality. So I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, bro. And uh, Lewis actually has his own podcast too called On Your Way to Wealth. And he's killing it with that. But if you don't mind telling our guests a little bit about yourself, give a little background so they know who you are. And yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah, I was born in Dominican Republic. For those of you that don't know, it's a little island of the Caribbean near Puerto Rico. We share the island with Haiti, as a matter of fact. So I think a little fun fact, I believe we're the only country in the world that is two countries on the same island, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I was born there, came to the U.S., to New York when I was 11, lived there for most of my adult life, and now live in Las Vegas with my wife. I've been in the industry for 20 years now in all different aspects of it, from broker-dealers to registered investment advisories. And now I just filed the paperwork to launch my own fee-only RIA, just like you, am and following your footsteps. Mm-hmm. I think you've been blazing the trail a little bit longer than me in this industry. Are we got about the, you know, I think I got 20 years this year. I think I do got 20, let's see, what year is it? 19, this is my 19th year. So I think you got me by one. But uh, man, it's always good to see fellow advisors of color doing a great job. And I'm excited for this show today. We're going to talk about the CARE Act and what it means for our listeners' families, because everybody's been hearing about the CARE Act and and not exactly sure what parts of it they're going to be able to partake in, what it means to them. And I'm hoping today that you and I can talk through this for people to give them a better understanding of what they can expect. One thing we didn't mention about Lewis is that he is a CFP and an EA, which is an enrolled agent. So at your firm, you do taxes as well, right? That's correct. Yes. The IRS enrolled agent certification is provided for by the IRS. So you have to pass three different exams in order to obtain it. And once you obtain it, it basically gives you the same representation rights as a tax attorney or a CPA. Not that I want to do that kind of work, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I feel like it goes very hand in hand with what we do as financial planners, because that way we know one financial decision affects the other. And I felt like it would be a good combination to know about taxes so that we can help our clients make the right decision. Absolutely. I think when you're talking about financial planning and if you're not having the tax portion offered at your firm, then it does hinder the ability to give the advice that most of the time people need. And that is why we've also, I think, yeah, we talked about it. So Gen X Wealth is actually doing taxes for our existing clients now. We're not doing just taxes for people unless they are financial planning clients with us. But yeah, we do have that offering for our clients now. 
And that came about after I talked to you and a few other of the advisors that I know that actually offer taxes. So I have partnered with a CPA that does the taxes for my clients. And then, you know, I'm the point of contact for them. But I know you are actually doing the taxes. And so next year, I think that's something that I'm going to start doing. And we actually have uh, talked to Mrs. Miles Mattingly to possibly see if she wants to do it. I don't know. We'll see what happens. She loves her job. So I don't think she's going to just up and leave. So, but it is out there. I put the bug in her ear. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but we'll just jump right into what we were going to talk about today, Lewis. So what is the CARE Act, if you don't mind? Tell the listeners what the CARE Act is. Yes, yeah, so the CARE Act stands for Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act. It is a massive $2.2 trillion stimulus that the government is basically pumping into the economy to put it in the hands of individuals and small businesses in order to help them in these difficult times because coronavirus has, as you know, shut down pretty much the whole world at this point. A lot mm-hmm. of countries under quarantine, a lot of people are out of work. Some are lucky enough to work from home, but There's a lot of people out there that don't have that steady paycheck right now. And a lot of businesses have to close, unfortunately. So this is somewhat similar to what occurred in 2008, where the government pumped some money into the economy, but at a much larger level. You said trillion, right? Trillion. So one trillion is 1,000 billion and one billion Mm -hmm. is 1,000 million. So we're talking. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of zeros, right? We're talking a lot of zeros. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, just playing around. I was like, how many Oprah's? It's 2.2 trillion. I think it's like mm-hmm. 768 Oprahs. I mean, just to put it into context, I mean, it's a lot of money. Wow, that's crazy. 760 Oprahs, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I like that, though, because it puts it in perspective, right? How many Jay-Z and Beyonce's is that? Right. I would like to know that. Like, if you get those numbers sometime in this show, Lewis, please share those. We want to know how many Jay-Z's and Beyonce's that is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you, man. So we know what it stands for. So talk to us a little bit about who qualifies for this and who's left out. Yeah, that's a very good question. The main thing I want to share is the stimulus payment that you hear about that's for individuals. It's literally a check or a direct deposit that the government is going to put in the hands of certain taxpayers. Right now, a one-time payment of $1,200 for individuals that have an income, adjusted gross income up to $75,000 per year. If you're filing head of household, you have up until $112,500 before you phase out. Mm-hmm. And if you do a married filing joint return, it's $2,400 up to $150,000 in adjusted gross income. And in addition to that, you get a $500 check for every eligible dependent under the age of 17 on the tax return. Hmm. So it can be $2,400 plus $500 for each kid. Is there a limit to how many kids can be claimed? There is no language in the stimulus that puts a limit. So basically, they're just going to go based off of your tax return. So if you have four dependents, that's another two grand right there. They're all under 17. Okay, that's good. You talked about the families and the individuals, right? Yes. So this is very important for families. There is an opportunity here for some folks that maybe because of this coronavirus situation, not had a chance to go out there and file the tax returns. Mm-hmm. It's something you want to consider because right now the government is basing these numbers based off of your 2018 tax return. But some folks might be better off using the 2019 numbers because mm-hmm. they might have had a lower income that year. Maybe let's say, for example, you have a family who's just had a baby in 2019. And let's mm-hmm. say the wife took maternity leave and she was out for a few months and wasn't necessarily getting paid as normally as she would. Maybe their income is lower in 2019. 
So you might want to consider filing a 2019 tax return right away to increase that stimulus payment, especially if the child that was just born was not in your 2018 tax return. That's another Mm -hmm. 500 bucks you don't want to miss out on. Ultimately, you will be able to get it in your 2020 return, but I think most people would rather have that money right now. Yeah, exactly. So if you have done your taxes for 2018 taxes, that's one. If you've done your 20, actually, that would be 2017, right? Yeah. So right now, that's a good point, too, that you bring up because there are some people out there that have not filed a return for a couple of years. Some of them, maybe they didn't have to because they were under the limit. Mm -hmm. Now, this doesn't apply to Social Security recipients and people that are on disability. If they don't file a tax return because they don't have to, the IRS is still going to send them their payment at whatever mailing address or bank account they currently receive their benefits. But Uh. if somebody just didn't file a 2018 and they're not a social security or disability recipient, they should go out there and file a 2018 or 2019 tax return to make sure that the IRS will send them that check. So otherwise they're not going to receive a payment. Now, what if someone owes back taxes on that? Like say someone owes, you know, you have a, a balance due to the IRS for previous tax years. What happens with the stimulus in that aspect? Yeah, you know, a lot of clients have been asking about that because I have clients that are on payment plans with the IRS mm-hmm. and they were saying, is that 1200 just going to be applied to my loan or to my liability? And the IRS has stated that they will not because the purpose of this is to put money in the hands of people. There is one exception is if somebody is behind on child support payments and that child support arrears has been already reported to the federal government, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that money will not be sent to the person, will be sent to the child support agency, which is obviously the right thing to do. But just keep that in mind. Yeah, if you're behind on child support, don't expect your stimulus payment or not all of it, depending on how much you owe. Yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if the whole purpose of the thing is to spend the money, then, I mean, if that person's getting it or the other people are getting it, you know, however that parenting situation is working right. out. That's to each its own on that. Is there anyone else that qualifies for this that we haven't mentioned? We've talked about individuals. We've talked about families. I don't know if we've really touched on the business owners a little later. I know we talked about that in the questions. We'll get to the business owners need later. Is there any other little special things that people miss sometimes in this stimulus package? Yeah, absolutely. So you bring up a great point. You don't have to necessarily have a job. So let's say Like my parents, they're on Social Security. They don't work. They don't file tax returns, but they still qualify for the stimulus. They're automatically going to get that money based on where they get their direct deposit right now. Mm -hmm. People that are on, let's say, disabled veterans who get VA disability and they don't file a tax return, they're still going to get this money. Now, there's other things to consider is you have to have a work-eligible Social Security number. And that means that the people that are here who are not in a legal status, but they have a what's called the individual tax ID number, which is short ITIN, they work, they pay taxes, and they might fall under the income guidelines for this under 75,000. But unfortunately, they will not be getting a stimulus payment Mm -hmm. because they don't have a work eligible social security number, which is a little bit ironic because a lot of those people are once considered to be essential employees. Like if you look at the agriculture business right now in California, Mm -hmm. there's like 400,000 workers that are literally the ones picking our food. They're considered essential. They're working, but they're not Mm -hmm. essential enough to get this stimulus. Which absolutely makes no sense. Now, I thought they had done an update on that. Is that not true? I haven't seen anything with that. They're still not considered essential to get the stimulus. So if you don't have a work eligible, as of the last time I read it, Okay. They're not eligible to get it. And also, if you have a dependent on your tax return, for example, a college kid that's over the age of 18, 
but they're still considered your dependent because you provide more than half of their support, mm-hmm. they will not be eligible for their own stimulus payment. So I've had a lot of people ask me like, oh, what if I don't claim my daughter this year? Mm-hmm. If your daughter's over 17 and she's still going to college and technically she lives in your house and you consider your household and you pay more than half the support, tuition, whatever, then they're still not eligible whether or not you claim them on their return. So if they're considered your dependent, whether or not they are in fact on your return, they will not be getting their own stimulus payment. And same thing goes for adult parents. I have mm-hmm. a lot of clients who claim adult parents who live with them and they might get a little social security. If they're claimed as dependents, they too will not be getting their own stimulus payments. Okay. That's a very good point to make because I know a lot of my listeners are minorities and a lot of those minority families are taking care of the younger kids or taking care of the parents. Now, maybe the mom or dad live with them, maybe both parents live with them and they're taking care of them. And so that's an important point to make because not everybody's understanding exactly how it all shakes out. So good points there. So these are the people that will be considered left out then, right? Definitely. Yeah. People without a work eligible social security number, adult and college age children who are your dependents will be left out. Now, if you had a college age student, let's just say, I don't know, I'm just making up my daughter's 14, but let's just say she is 22. She's going to school. She's working. I'm not claiming her. Can she file her own tax return and then get the money back? She can file her own tax return, but if she is considered to be your dependent, and the definition basically is one of them is that you pay more than half her support. So yes. let's say she does if, not if live I'm not claiming. I'm just saying if I'm not claiming her, if I'm not claiming her, she's working, I don't claim her as a dependent and, you know, she's working and she, you know, files her taxes, is she going to be able to get money back that way? Does she live in your house? Yeah. All right. So probably now, because then that you still be considered to be paying more than half her support because she's probably not giving you money towards the mortgage and the food and all that. Right. <laughs> OK. Yeah. OK. OK. So if someone was going to school and they didn't live in the house, then that would work. Possibly. Yes. Unless you're paying for school, if you're the one taking yeah. plus loans. <laughs> yeah. OK. OK. But I wanted to ask because I think those are questions that people are going to be listening for and say, OK, well, you know, I want to be able to help my child get this money. We haven't filed taxes yet but this looks like they may not be able to do it. Right. That's a good point. So yeah, don't not claim your kid and then they end up not getting the stimulus and you don't end up getting <laughs> any There's money. There's some income limits too. And I know we had talked about those, but if you could briefly go into that, I think this all falls into right on the filing your 2019 taxes. So if you can talk about those income phase out limits. Yeah. So if you make under 75,000 as a single person, you get the full check. If you make over 75,000, it starts phasing out. So at $99,000 for a single person, they make a dollar over $99,000, they will no longer get the stimulus. Anywhere in between seventy-five and ninety-nine, they'll get a proportionate share of it, basically a decreased amount. The closer they get to the $99,000 mark, the less mm-hmm. money they get. Once they get over ninety-nine, they get zero. Okay. For head of household, the phase out is going to be one thirty-six five hundred, so one hundred and thirty-six thousand five hundred. So they'll have that range between one hundred and twelve thousand five hundred and one hundred and thirty-six thousand five hundred, where they get a reduced amount. Anything over one thirty-six five hundred, they get zero. And then a couple filing jointly, completely phase out at one hundred and ninety-eight thousand. So if they make under one hundred and fifty thousand, they get the full twenty-four hundred. Anything over one hundred and fifty. And between 199, they get a reduced amount. After 199, they get zero. Hmm. Okay. And one thing I wanted to point out, because you asked me about this too, is your 2020 tax return could play a role in this as well. So for example, let's say that you are a married couple, so you're a family, you have children, and you do in fact made more than the $150,000 in 2018 or 19. You filed your taxes. So you get a reduced amount based on that income tax year. 
However, let's say one of you lost their job and you're out of work for four or five months this year. So when you file your 2020 tax return, your income is say 100,000. Well, now you would do a much bigger credit than you were based on the 2019 tax return. So the IRS is actually going to give people the difference on that 2020 tax year. Obviously, oh, nice. the person would have rather have it now when they need it the most, but at least it's not all lost, you know. And the flip side to that is if you qualified on your 2019, but then you ended up making more in 2020 and you weren't supposed to get a credit, the IRS doesn't require you to pay it back. That's a good thing. That is a great thing because, you know, no one wants to owe the IRS because they will get the money. Right. <laughs> they know where you live, they get your bank account. <laughs> yeah. They are the most efficient organization that's collecting money from people. So, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Any other talking points or anything else that we should talk about as it pertains to filing your taxes for 2019? Yes. Yes. Let's say if you moved, you filed your 2018, you bought a house after that, or you moved, you changed your lease, the IRS is going to send the payment to, if you don't have direct deposit information, it's going to be sent via regular check to your last address on the last filed tax return. So if you have moved, you either want to make sure that you file your 2019 tax return, if the numbers are still similar, because you don't want to screw yourself up on that end, obviously, if you made more money. So you want to make sure you file your 2019 so they have your most current information. Very important too is the direct deposit information. If you change bank accounts, and you have not filed the 2019 return and the income is the same or lower, then you might want to consider filing your 2019 return just so mm. that you can update the direct deposit. Right now, the IRS is talking about sending checks out within a few weeks, but they are saying that direct deposit is going to be the easiest way because you got to understand a lot of these employees are working from home themselves from the IRS, right? So they're saying that if you choose the paper check option, that could take months for some people to actually receive a physical check in the mail. So in the meantime, they're working on an online tool, has not been rolled out yet, where you will be able to log in and give the IRS your bank account information. But right now you can't control that unless you file a 2019 tax return, right? So if you haven't filed or if you filed and you moved, at least change your address with the IRS. It's one of the resources that I know you're going to provide by filing the IRS form 8822. And the 8822 updates your address, correct? Correct. Okay. So 88 form, we'll put a link to that in the show notes for the form 8822. We'll put a link to a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. So this episode's highly dense, information dense. So we're going to make sure that everything that we are talking about, there are links to it. When it comes to the filing your taxes, I keep thinking, because I'm like, we have always had the, you know, we're always doing quarterlies and stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, how would that work? Because I'm not technically getting a return back. As a self-employed person, I'm usually paying a little bit of taxes at the end of the year, every year. So I they feel wouldn't you. necessarily have my information. So that online thing to me makes a ton of sense. Hopefully they get that up and running and we can do that. Do you have any ideas of, not that you're the representative of the IRS, but do you have any idea of when they're going to roll that out or have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I've heard three to four weeks because that's the timeline when they expect to start sending the checks out anyway. So they want to give people the opportunity to log in and update their bank account information. And I'm glad you mentioned the quarterly estimates because I wanted to touch on this too. If I have a lot of clients like yourselves, right, that you and I both send out estimates quarterly. Right now, the IRS has extended the deadline for filing from April 15th until July 15th. So you have an additional three months because you understand people probably should not be going out there making an appointment with the tax person. But the same thing applies to the quarterly estimates. So normally, one of the quarterly estimates is due April 15th. That has mm -hmm. also been extended to July 15th. So you no longer need to make that estimate by April 15th. 
But funny enough, the second estimate that's due June 15th will still apply. So technically, your second quarter estimate will be due before your first quarter estimate because of the extension to July 15th. <laughs> nice. That doesn't sound like it was well thought through, but I mean, the right. but it is what it is. I'm not going to be the person to sit here and continually talk bad about our government because I mean, I think this is something that whether you're Republican or Democrat or whatever your party affiliation is, like we can have our thoughts about how, you know, the president handled this or how our government's handled this whole thing. But I mean, we've never experienced anything like this as a country, as the world. I mean, Spanish flu was close, but we haven't seen anything like this. And so in these unprecedented times, it's tough to be able to navigate exactly what's going on. But I like the stimulus package. I mean, I think it's a ton of money that we got out there, 760 Oprah's to be exact. (laughs) If you want to know Oprah's net worth, you can look that up on Forbes. She's balling just in case you didn't know. But yeah, I mean, I think what does this mean for people that have student loans, right? Because this is something that, you know, a lot of people have. I have student loans myself. So what does that mean? Like, how does the stimulus or the CARES Act affect the student loan? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, one more thing, and before we move on about taxes, if I didn't mm-hmm. mention, the yeah. stimulus payment will not be taxable to you. So you don't have to claim it as income on your tax return, which actually, you know, some people had asked about that because it would be kind of weird, right, to get a stimulus from the government and pay them taxes back on the money they gave you. But mm-hmm. they decided not to tax us on that money. So if you are eligible, it's tax-free income. <laughs> I'm sure that that was a discussion on whether or not they should give it to us as taxable income. We got to make something back. I'm sure. They did. Yeah. I'm sure. So let's move on to student loans. One of the provisions in the CARE Act is that if you have a federal loan, not a private lender, a federal loan that's backed by the U.S. government, Department of Education, you are eligible for a six-month deferment on that payment. And the great thing about that is that it will not impact your credit score negatively because they're not going to report it to the credit bureaus as if you're not making the payment. And number two, it will not accrue any further interest. So it's not like when you do your own traditional deferment and the loan keeps growing, this is not that. This is actually like, hey, we're going to let you slide for six months, no negative impact on your credit no penalties, no additional interest. So it's a great opportunity for some people that have student loans. Absolutely. What if someone already has a student loan and deferment? And I don't know if you, you know, I'm just asking a question. Someone has a student loan and deferment. Should they still call in and see, you know, maybe they can postpone the deferment that they have now? Because we know how the deferment works. You only get so many months of deferment. If there's a special dispensation, if you will, a special time when people can get this six months of relief, without gaining the interest, would it make sense for someone that even has their loans in deferment to still call and say, okay, I want this type of deferment? Because normally when you're in deferment, you still accrue interest. Absolutely. Yeah, that is a great point. I would call my servicer because I definitely wouldn't just want to assume that they're just going to transfer me over to the one under the stimulus and not charge me any interest. They might, but I wouldn't take that chance. So just be proactive. Call your servicer. And I'm glad you bring that up too, because I've had a lot of questions about this. In my case, my wife has student loans and she had this systematic withdrawal from her debit because normally if you sign up for that, you get like a quarter or like an 8% lower interest rate on your student loan because they prefer that you do direct debit. I would log in and make sure that you cancel your systematic debit if your intention is to take advantage of the six-month deferment because I'm not exactly sure that your servicer would automatically just not take the money out of your bank account because voluntary payments are still okay to do during this deferment period. So definitely, if you don't want to make these payments and you want to take advantage of the six months, log into your account, cancel the automatic, and make sure that you had the conversation with your servicer 
and make sure that you, in fact, are going to be taking advantage of that six-month deferment. Absolutely. I like it. So I know there was some planning opportunities that we talked about a little bit that I put in here, but I know some of the things have been changed in retirement planning in general with the new CARE Act. So at this point in time, there's some special opportunities that people have to use monies that would have been penalized otherwise because of this CARE Act. Would you mind talking about those a little bit? Yes. So one of the major ones is the ability to tap into a retirement account, whether it's an individual retirement account like an IRA or if you have a 401k at work, you're eligible to take up to $100,000 without penalty. Now, I'm glad you bring this up because when people hear, oh, no penalty, they think there's no consequence. So I want to just bring a little bit of clarification to that. So people under age 59 and a half who take money out of an IRA or 401k, not as a loan, as a withdrawal, will typically pay income tax on that money plus an additional 10% penalty on top of their regular income tax. Mm. So what the IRS is doing is they're waiving the 10% penalty to make it easier for you to take those funds out. However, you still have to pay income tax on that money. So it's not a free ride. So some people might hear like, oh, you could take up to 100 grand of <laughs> penalty free. And it's not the case. It's okay. Yes, you're right. Literally, there's no 10% penalty, but you still have to pay actual income tax on that money. So you're still potentially hurting yourself over the long term. So consider that before you tap into that source. Another thing, because you're talking about planning opportunities, if you tap into your 401k or IRA now, it's very likely that it's decreased because of the recent stock market volatility, and it might not necessarily be the best option to sell when you're low, right? So this is when planning comes into play. This is when people have to reach out to their financial planners and make sure that they look at all the options available and see if this is in fact good for them. And so when we're talking about this, because we're talking income and this is a question that pops into my mind. So if someone, you know, maybe someone had some financial difficulties in January, or maybe they had financial difficulties in February of this month, and they've already tapped into those accounts. How does that work? Like I said, I don't expect you to have an answer to this, but it was a question that popped into my head. So I'm like, how does that work? Say someone just, you know, they may have pulled some money out at the beginning of March. How does that work in regards to how do they find out, you know, you've reached the time limit or we can't, you know, what, how does that work? Just- yeah, well, they have basically stated that it has to be a coronavirus related distribution. So I'm glad you asked that question because somebody listening might be like, hey, you know, this might be the perfect time to tap into that and buy a new car. <laughs> and that will not qualify. So they created a separate category for it. It was a coronavirus related distribution. Very broad. What they did is basically apply a similar language to what they do when we have these natural disasters like hurricanes and earthquakes. They're given a, a very similar treatment. So when you see the language, it's very familiar. So it has to be a coronavirus-related distribution. Now, it's very broad. So husband and wife work, wife gets laid off, and you take money out of your 401k, you can make the case that that was a coronavirus-related distribution because one of you lost the job as a result of the coronavirus, whether or not you were personally infected with the virus, right? There are some opportunities there, but yeah. You don't want to just take it out to buy a new house or invest in the stock market or something, right? So it has to be for a coronavirus-related distribution. Another thing I wanted to point out, too, is you have an opportunity to roll this money back within a three-year period. So mm. normally, when you take the money out of an IRA, you only have 60 days to put it back, and you get that opportunity once every 12-month period to not pay any taxes or penalties. So basically, the IRS lets you undo that distribution within 60 days, but they have expanded that. 
to allow you to roll it over over a three-year period if you want. So that's another planning opportunity because let's say you took out $100,000, you can say, you know what, instead of paying taxes on a hundred grand this year, I can distribute this and maybe pay, you know, 30 something thousand, 33,000 and some change equally over three years. So depending on how your income is going to be, or you might decide to pay it all back this year because maybe this is going to be a much lower income year for you because being a small business owner who lost some income and maybe this is a smaller tax year than usual, you might just choose to pay it all back. But you have the ability to pay taxes on it. The second thing is that you have the ability to actually put it all back within a three-year period. So if you fall on hard times right now, you have to tap into your IRA. And then let's say within the next two, three years, you're back on your feet, things are better. You can roll that over and not basically undo what you did tax-wise and not have to worry about having to pay taxes or the penalty on it. And so I'm guessing there's going to be some, like on an IRA, there's going to be some type of form, I'm guessing, on the withdrawal, like, or check the box on the withdrawal to see if this is for coronavirus. Um, So everybody's had to have their forms updated. Exactly. Yeah. The CPAs and EAs are are going to have more work to do because now we have another form to fill, another box to check and figure out if it was a coronavirus related or not and how much you put in back over the three years, et cetera. So yeah, they'll they'll adjust the tax forms to reflect these opportunities. (laughs) Okay. And then what does this mean to small business owners? Like I know that there's some, I've heard some stuff about some payroll loans. I've heard some stuff about SBA coming in. I've heard some banks are doing loans and some banks said we're not going to lend money to these people. Well, no matter what. So I've heard all kinds of stories. So can you clarify that for me and talk a little bit to the listeners about what it means if you're a small business owner? Yes, this is a great opportunity for small business owners who have been impacted. And one of the things that is great about it too, they have somewhat expanded the definition of a business owner to include people who are self-employed, individual contractors. So we're talking our Uber drivers, our real estate agents out there that are not necessarily a quote unquote business. They may not have a traditional brick and mortar store, but they are in fact not an employee either, right? Mm -hmm. So normally they wouldn't qualify for these kinds of things. So right now, as a small business owner, there are two options in terms of loans that are guaranteed from the Small Business Administration, which is another government agency. So the banks are really taking very little risk when it comes to this because it's fully guaranteed by the Small Business Administration. So one of them is a disaster assistance that we can apply for as small business owners like you and I. And I'm sure you're going to put the link as well on the resources. There is a grant that you can get up to $10,000, and the grant is forgivable if you use it for expenses like mortgage interest or rent on your business or Mm -hmm. payroll and things of that sort. Mm -hmm. Also, for people who have employees, they have a payroll protection program where, in fact, you are incentivized to not lay people off. Or if you did lay some people off, you can call them back and you can get up to two and a half times your average monthly payroll as a loan up to $10 million. And the rate's going to be super low, like the maximum rate is going to be 4% and you could even defer the payments. So there's really some help there for people who might have had to close the doors. They can apply for these loans and grants, hire their people back. There's some tax credits, you know, so definitely be sure to speak to your accountant about that too. So now when it comes to the payroll protection, would you contact your payroll company to do that? Very good question. So the payroll protection program is done via direct private lenders. And the money is backed by the SBA, but you have to apply it through a bank. So you can go on the SBA website and search for a lender that might be near you, or you can contact your existing lender and just ask if they are providing SBA loans. And they might. They might already be an SBA lender. You just might have known it. 
I know a lot of the big banks already are. So you just contact them and say, hey, I want to apply for the, the PPP and go for it. And then the disaster one, you can apply directly at the sba.gov forward slash disaster. Okay. And we'll put the link to all that in there, man. This is awesome. This has been incredible. There was something that you said you wanted to stress just because you can do something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and before I say that too, the other thing I want to tell people is that unemployment benefits have also been extended to those people who are in uh, considered independent contractors. So if you're like a chair ride driver and you lost, obviously we're in the quarantine in a lot of places, you can't go out there and drive you can contact your state unemployment agency and apply for unemployment benefits just as if you were an employee. So just be sure to check that out. That's done at the state level. And that's going to be for all of your, like the Uber drivers, Lyft drivers. Right. Real estate agents, anybody that gets like a 1099 or isn't really an employee of a firm, delivery Mm -hmm. drivers, people like that, that don't get a W-2 and a paycheck, they just get paid as an independent contractor. What agency would they need to contact? State unemployment. Okay, so EDD for us. Yeah, yeah, just do okay. like exactly. Yeah. Whatever agency does your unemployment benefits, I just say level. Awesome. Man, this has been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that question. You said just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should, because a lot mm-hmm. of people have asked me, like, hey man, you know, should I tap into my 401k? And I'm like, well, you know, did you lose your job? Did you lose your income? No, me and my wife are both working. Okay, so maybe you shouldn't borrow from your 401k. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're going to sell low, number one. And ultimately, if you don't need the funds, then why are you doing it anyway? Exactly. Think about this. I think there's some, going back to like some of the planning opportunities, like if you're going to do something, then just make sure it's actually benefiting you. So for example, if you take advantage of the six-month deferment on your student loans, well, maybe you didn't need that money, but perhaps you have a credit card that you're paying 24% on. So maybe you can reroute those payments to start paying that 24% card mm-hmm. instead of just not taking advantage of it, right? So there's a planning opportunity there, right? So just keep in mind that just because you could do something doesn't mean that you should. So perhaps you should talk to your financial planner before you make any of those decisions. But I think it's also that you can leverage some of these opportunities Definitely. with the guidance of a professional. <laughs> we'll yes. just say that, whether it's a tax professional, a financial right. planner. There's a lot of opportunity. I like that word. You yeah, can leverage some of this. If you haven't been impacted, mm-hmm. you know, there are still some things that you could take advantage of yeah. during so these that- times. That's something that I definitely think you should talk to someone about if you're listening to this podcast. Louise, as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast and where we are changing the complexion of wealth. So with that, I wanted to ask you, what motivates you or inspires you to continue to grow and learn? For me, is impact. I feel like, you know, I've had this conversation with other planners and I feel like me as an individual financial planner could probably only help 100 to 150 people myself. And I just feel like that's not enough. And I want to have greater impact. So I'm glad that you have me on, for example, because there could be thousands of people listening to this that could benefit from something that perhaps they didn't know, and which is why I have my podcast and the blog and all that. So that's what really drives me forward. I want to get to a point where I know I'm making a difference. And obviously, it's great to help 100 and 150 people, but I want to have a much greater impact because there is a lot of us like me, like I could have really used a financial planner. I didn't even know a financial planner existed when I was in my 20s. And I did a lot of dumb decisions with my money. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just one of those things, man. I mean, finance is not something that's usually talked about in the minority household. So totally get it. Do you believe that education plays a big role in building wealth? Oh, without a doubt. 
like for example, my case, I unfortunately didn't have the ability to learn this at home because my parents were immigrants from the Dominican Republic. They don't speak English. They worked in factories and stuff like that. They never knew what a 401k was. My father never had life insurance. He doesn't know what a stock is. My father never even owned a car, right? Mm -hmm. So he wanted me to work hard and pursue an education. But other than that, providing a roof for me, they couldn't really sit down with me and be like, hey, this is how a 401k works. And this is how compound interest works. Mm -hmm. And I wish that somebody would set me down. And then unfortunately, I feel like the education system that I went through as well, they didn't teach me that either. So a lot of the stuff I had to learn by trial and error that could have been avoided. So education is key. You know, I'm glad to see now that a lot of schools do, in fact, have personal finance as part of the curriculum. Even the most basic stuff, like learning how to balance a checkbook and knowing what compound interest is, it could be a game changer. Exactly. Compound interest in the positive and negative impact it can right. have. Because yeah. you don't want to be on the wrong side of <laughs> You don't want to be in the wrong yeah, it's your friend when you're saving, and sure yeah. is your enemy when you owe money. Absolutely. And if you could offer a piece of advice for our listeners, what would that one piece of advice be? Or pieces? Because I always say one, and then people come on and they got several, and I don't want to cut <laughs> you short. I don't want to sell you short on the advice that the gems that you're going to drop on them right now. I appreciate that. Well, one thing I would say is you want to make sure that you focus on what you can control. Right now, you turn on the TV, you grab your phone, and all you're probably going to hear is negative news. People dying, people in the quarantine, et cetera. You can't control any of that. So, you know, it's funny because I tell some people, like, go on a news diet. I do it myself. On the weekends, Friday night, I shut down, and I'm like, all right, if the world ends, you know, somebody will call me and let me know. Like, I'm just like, I'll find out Monday. <laughs> mm -hmm. Focus on what you can control. Number two is make sure to take action. A lot of this stuff is beneficial to you, but nobody's just going to give it to you. So be proactive. Make sure you contact your creditors. There's a lot of things that are not included in the stimulus, but because of the current situation, there are creditors out there who are willing to forego a payment or two for the next month. You know, So be proactive. Contact your mortgage company. You know, I've heard people getting three-month deferment on their mortgage payments. Speak with your landlord. Contact your creditors. You know, Call your credit card company. Say, hey, what can you do right now? Can you postpone some payments? Can you lower my interest rate? Things of that sort. So definitely be proactive on things. Don't wait for people to just reach out to you to offer you a benefit. Love it. Love it. Once again, thank you for coming on, Lewis. I really appreciate you coming on. I hope the listeners enjoy this, which I know they're going to enjoy it because I've learned some things as we've been talking here, man. And I think you're doing some incredible work. Love what you're doing with your own podcast, with what you're doing with the business all the way from Las Vegas. And I should be seeing you at FPA this June. If that still goes on, we'll yeah, keep God our willing. fingers crossed. Yeah, Lord willing. And coronavirus can be over. With that, if the listeners want to get more of you, what social medias are you active on? Where can they find some of you at? Yeah, so as far as social media, I'm active on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Luis underscore F underscore Rosa. Also, if you just go to my blog, onmywaytowealth.com, you can listen to my podcast and get the link to all my social media channels there or my business website, buildthebetterfinancialfuture.com. Love it. I love the names that you got. I love Build a Better Financial Future and On Your Way to Wealth. I like the names, man. Thank you. It's a pain when I give my email address to somebody like, Build a Better, really? You could have. Yeah. <laughs> you got to go to BBF. Right. Isn't that what it is? It was BBFF. taken. Yeah, it was oh, taken. Oh, wow. Hey, I got to come up with something, though. <laughs> If the, if the owner of the domain is listening, please uh, reach out. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying, man? We'll do something. We can strike a deal. But thanks again, man. And I uh, just wanted to tell all the listeners, be safe out there. Continue to practice your social distancing. Continue to wash your hands. And like I said, be safe. Until next time, 
This is Emlyn Miles Mattingly and the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here, and until next time, 